Welcome to Harvest Valley Worship Center's Sermon of the Week. You can discover more about our church, pastors, and special guests at hvwc.com. We hope that you are blessed by today's message. Let's pray. Let's take a moment and seek the Lord um, and begin to discover what God has for us in the next season. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for you. We're so grateful for your word. We thank you for the healing that was released in this house today. We thank you for the deep roots that you're giving us here. We thank you that um, you are preparing us for revival. So we receive your word today. Father, I pray that people would listen to the voice within my voice. That they would listen for the Spirit of God more than my thoughts, God. That they would listen to what you're saying more than what I'm saying. And Father, I'm humbled, deeply humbled, that you would want to use someone like me to bring your word today, but I'm so grateful, God. So grateful for this opportunity today. Father, teach us how to learn what your kingdom looks like. Forgive us for where we have built our own idols, even in your kingdom. And Father, I ask in Jesus' name that everything that does not resemble the kingdom of God in our hearts would be torn down. And that we would enter into the greatness of your kingdom right here in North Idaho. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Awesome. Welcome to the book of Joel. All right, Joel's, Joel's an interesting book because it's a prophetic book. It's a, one of the prophets. And boy, you know, when you get into the prophets, it's gorgeous literature, right? Like, I mean, some of the best, most like amazing pictures that are being, being, being uh, displayed with words happen in the prophets. And it's so, so there's a lot of poetic um, uh, turns and, and phrases that are used. There's a lot of concepts that you'll only hear in the prophets. And so we're going to dive into a lot of that type of stuff. But um, I believe that I was studying this before coming back in as a leader, as, a, as kind of the senior pastor here. I, I was studying this. And the Lord just had me in Joel and I couldn't figure it out. Like I'm just in it. And, and all of a sudden I just land, the land, the land, the land, just was coming off the page, and so I, I had my my um, journaling Bible, which now, if I set it down, it just plops open to Joel. <laughs> you know how like you just set it, it's just like all the pages just go, and it's in Joel, um, and so that's how my Bible works now. So as I've been going through this, I've realized that there are so many keys to where we are at today, and where God wants to take the body of Christ in the Book of Joel. That I felt like it'd be good to do a series on it to take a little bit of time and to dig some of this stuff out for what God has in store for us. So, how many of you have ever had the Long Bridge experience? Okay, the ones who raise their hands actually know what I'm talking about. The people who aren't quite sure, it's this moment that people talk about when they drive across the Long Bridge and it's like the heavens part and you feel at home. And you're like, wait, what, what? Like, oh, it just feel, it feels right. It feels good. Whoa, so there's this long bridge experience. Donna, you've been here 
generations, generations, and generations of your family. And how long has that Longbridge experience been going on? He says, he, every time you cross it, God paints a different picture. Okay, so listen, there's this experience that happens when you come into this region, right? I remember on taking a youth, uh, a bunch of youth from the church over to Seattle uh, with some people, and then we were driving back, and all of a sudden, this youth group starts like call, crying out to God in the van, and I'm like, what is going on? We borrowed the Nazarene van, the old one, you know, like, well, you know, we're just going. And, and it was good times. And all of a sudden, like this intercession hits the van. And I'm looking around, I'm like, oh, we just hit the county line. We're like, wow, there's something spectacular about this region that God wants to do. We're going to talk about that because I think it's really important for us to understand what God wants to do here. There's something special about where we live. I'm sure everybody, wherever they live, feels like there's something special, but we're really special, okay? <laughs> hmm. Let's dive into the history on the book of Joel. I want to help us understand the context in which it was written. I want us to understand what what was going on when Joel wrote this, because I think if we can grab that context historically, we'll be able to really understand a little bit more about what he's saying to us today. Um, so there's no clear date and there's no definable date in the book of Joel to tell when it was written. So then we look at classical um, Hebrew studies. That classical Hebrew says it was written during the reign of the kings after the after Solomon uh, reign and it's split into Judah in the south and Israel in the north. Okay, it, the, he talks a lot about Jerusalem. Well, Jerusalem's in the south in in the in the kingdom of Judah. Okay, so Judah and Israel are different. Now, some of the newer scholarship tends to move it to to uh, around uh, the time of the exile and the return of Ezra and Nehemiah. It, it, I can understand why, and I'll, I'll get into that, but it doesn't quite fit for me. Um, here's some common themes. One of the reasons why it's a little confusing is because there's common themes in Joel. When you read Joel that you'll like, I recognize that in some other places in Scripture, right? And so uh, you will see a, a, a very big theme, some big themes. Much of this imagery from Joel is in many of the other prophet, prophetical books, Okay, uh, repentance that says, rend your hearts, not your garments. That's in Joel. Uh, the day of the Lord, speaking about multiple days of the Lord. Uh, uh, day of the Lord of judgment for now, a day of the Lord judgment in the future, and an ultimate day of the Lord. All three of those are seen in the book of Joel. We also see clouds and thick darkness coming upon the land. This imagery of darkness coming upon the land. We see that in Joel. We also see cosmic upheavals, the, the, the moon turning to blood. And, and all that. we see it in multiple different places in the prophets, but we also see that here in Joel. We also see restoration that comes after judgment, plowshares becoming swords and swords becoming plowshares, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. All these concepts are talked about in three little chapters in Joel. It's rich. So classically, what they believed is that all the other prophets had read Joel and picked up 
some of that imagery, right? Um, and then in the newer scholarship, like, so how many of you watch Bible project videos? Or they're great. Okay, so if you're doing a Bible study, you go look at Bible project and pick a book, and it will give you the historicity, all the information, context about when it was written. Well, they take a newer scholarship view. So when you watch a Bible project video, they assume that Joel was really read well read of all the other prophets because he's got all the other prophets, the, all their languages in Joel. But classically, it's the other way around. Okay, and I think I tend to move more classical uh, in history um, than I am with new scholarship, just me personally. I tend to just entrust that the people who were there and handed that down over centuries might have it right, you know, instead of in the last 50 years go, well, we think it's the opposite. I go, eh, you know, I tend to, tend to not see. But not saying it's not possible, it is. Um, so the classical dates for Joel is 835 to 805 BC. To give you context, um, King David was, was around 1,000 BC, so we're within a couple hundred years of King David, or of King David okay, after King David, which, which also means that there's been some generations of kings that have gone on, and we've had some kings that followed God, um, and we've had some kings that did not follow God, okay, in the, in the context. Joel talks um, uh, specifically about an invasion of locusts, right? He talks about this invasion of locusts that people think literally happened, and a coming invading army like locusts, and he addresses many people at the beginning of the book, like the elders, priests, ministers, farmers, vine dressers, um, um, all that stuff. So considering the context of who he's talking to, I don't, that doesn't seem to match up with a post-dispersion, um, post-dispersion Israel or Judah, right? It seems like, okay, we got everything's in motion. Everything is set and moving, which would be more in alignment with the time of the kings than it would after the dispersion um, and the exile and then everyone coming back. So that's one reason why I tend to lean more towards the classical date. Um, and, you know, part of it, too, is talking about, you know, the priests, the acts of temple worship, the gathering at the house of the Lord. Dating prior to the exile makes a lot of sense because uh, worship at the temple wasn't fully restored until after Nehemiah and, and, and during, that, during that time. So um, it, it doesn't seem like it's this fresh restoration that, that he's talking about. He's talking about something that's been going on that needs to be corrected. So um, just very interesting, just different aspects of that. Um, so if we're going to find when Joel lived, the, the most common um, uh, scholarship would put um, the book of Joel to have been written under King Joash. Okay? King Joash, you find this in 2 Kings chapters 9 through 11, and you also find it in 2 Chronicles chapter 22. This is the context when Joel is prophesying. This is classically when it's when almost all, all um, classical uh, studies showed that this is when it was. Um, and so uh, we're just going to assume that that's what we're dealing with here, Okay. I know that there could be disagreement on this stuff. I'm not too worried about that. But this is the context through which I believe that Joel's prophesying into. All right? So um, the, 
one thing that's interesting, Joel's the first uh, major book of the prophets, except maybe Obadiah, which is, they're not sure if Obadiah was written before Joel or after Joel, but right kind of contemporarily. They're in the same, they're living at the same time as Elisha. To give you guys context, Joel's at the same time as Elisha. Okay? Um, so that also helps us kind of understand a little bit more of the context of what's going on. We know that, um, for example, I'll just look in the notes here. Let's see. Let's see. What were the what were what are um, all of the books that are I've got? Oh yeah. Here's the here's the different pro prophetic books prophets that all have the same theme and language from Joel in it. Malachi, Obadiah, Ezekiel, Zephaniah, Nahum, Isaiah, and Amos, Isaiah and Amos all have almost identical language and phrasing is what's in Joel. Okay, so we're going to pick up on some common themes that when you study through the rest of the prophets, you'll be like, oh, okay, I, I can see that now. That maybe you didn't recognize it before. Okay. Um, all right. So let's talk about what's going on in 2 Kings 11 and 2 Chronicles 22. This is the kingdom era, and this is the King Josh. So let's go ahead and put up that next slide. Um, it might be a little hard from that distance to read. Um, go for it. It is really, really hard to read. Okay, so there's, there's a... Hey, there it is. All right, so on the left, you can see Israel... On the right, you see Judah in green, Israel in uh, red. So you can see here that we've got Asa and then Jehoshaphat, who was a righteous king who served the Lord. Okay? And then under that, you have Jehoram, his son. Okay? There's an unholy alliance that happens after Ahab and Jezebel are in Israel. Okay, Ahab and Jezebel have a ton of kids. Okay, Jehu was a prophet at the time, and it was, remember that it was Elijah that dealt with Ahab and Jezebel at Mount Carmel, right? And then we have this thing that happens where Elijah passes his mantle to Elisha, and then Elisha now takes up uh, Elijah's mantle and it starts doing greater exploits than Elijah. Okay, starts like, like he got doubled up, the anointing, right? Got that double portion, okay? So what ends up happening here is that Elisha anoints Jehu, takes some priests, and they anoint Jehu as king over Israel. Jehu makes a personal vow that he will destroy the lineage of Ahab. He is going to wipe every descendant from Ahab and Jezebel off the face of the earth. That's legit. Okay? And so he's the guy who runs into Jezreel, which is where Jezebel lived, and yells up, is there anyone with me? And a couple of the people who were servants in Jezebel's house throw her out the window, right? And then he tramples her, runs off, tramples her in his cart, runs off, 
and then shows, okay, somebody check back later, and the prophecy was refilled, fulfilled that basically all of her bones and body was eaten by dogs and carried off. Kind of disgusting, but that's what the Word of God says. Okay? Jehu's the same dude. Gets appointed as king over Israel. Okay? So... He is on a war path. I'm like, this is Game of Thrones stuff, like big time, okay? He's on the war path, and that's all about infighting of families, right? Like if you're unfamiliar with the reference. So what happens is that Jehu is coming after all of Ahab and Jezebel's kids. Well, they take Jezebel's daughter, Athaliah, grabs her son, Ahaziah, and goes in and actually takes over the throne of Judah. They're from Israel. It goes in and takes over the throne of Judah, which was by the son of Jehoshaphat, Jehoram. Takes over the throne. And what happens? Ahaziah is now appointed as king over Judah. Well, Jehu hears about this. He rolls in with a bunch of boys and annihilates them all. Killed them. Killed them. Now, Athalia hides. She comes back and sets herself up as the queen of Judah. Because once Jezebel gets power, the spirit of Jezebel gets power, she ain't going to let go. She didn't care what it costs. Right? And how many of you know that, this, that Jezebel, this lineage spirit, the spirit that's on this line, operates in intimidation, control, and it requires compromise, right? So when Jezebel's at work, lots of intimidation, control, and requires compromise, okay? Ahab was the compromising king that allowed Jezebel to flourish, right? Okay? Well, I could start preaching about America, but we're not right now. We'll get there. Just let you marinate on that for a minute. Hang on, hold on. Let you marinate a little more. So, Athalia says operated, this is really interesting. We know that Athalia operated in the same spirit that Jezebel did um, because it says that um, she... Um, Ahaziah's mother advised him to do wickedly. Like mother, like daughter, right? And so we see that um, as Jehu goes around killing everybody, um, Jehoshaphat and, uh, um, gave birth to Jehor Jehoram, and Jehoram had a son who... Athaliah, when she, took, when she took over control, she started slaughtering all of Jehoshaphat's heirs. And so Jehoshaphat, Jehoram, had a, uh, Jehoshaphat's son, Jehoram, had a daughter who had married a priest named Jehudiah. Jehudiah and, and the granddaughter of Jehoshaphat take the little nephew 
Joash, who's a newborn when Athaliah is murdering the family line. Because he's a priest, where does he live? In the temple. Okay, the priests live in the temple. Okay, so it takes the so as the priest, they, they hide away this newborn, Joash. And they take him and they hide him in the temple for six years. Okay, because that was not a place that Athaliah ever wanted to go. And you find out a little bit later that this guy, Jehudiah, is kind of a bad priest. Like, he's a bad dude. Like, he's the kind of priest you don't want to mess with. Okay? He's the kind of priest that um, doesn't have a problem taking somebody's life, we find out. Okay? He's willing to go to war. He's a priest who's willing to go to war. Okay? So, Jehudiah hides this baby and and in the custom you weren't supposed to make anyone king until they were like kind of old enough to be able to like have some sense of decision making and you know what age they thought would be good for him seven (laughs) seven so at age seven joash is taken outside the temple for the first time with Jehudiah, and they take him to a special spot. Locations are important in the Bible. Takes him to a special spot, and they anoint him as king over Judah as a rightful heir of Jehoshaphat, a righteous king. They change his name from Joash to Jehoash. Okay? So that's why you see Jehoash up there instead of Joash. They change his name to Jehoash, Right while they're doing the anointing ceremony, Jehodiah is overseeing it. Right in the middle of that, Athaliah, who's been waiting, who's been waiting for someone to challenge her throne, comes out with all her people, and Jehodiah has the entire army on his side. They just appointed the rightful, righteous king, who's seven years old, over the country, and they slaughter Athaliah and all of her followers. During the ceremony. Okay, this is intense stuff. So, when we look at all of this, I think that it's important to understand the setting in which we see the book of Joel happening. Jehoash reigned in Israel or in Judah for 30 years. He wasn't the most righteous king and he wasn't the most evil king. He was young. Probably a little foolish at times. But it's in this context that Joel writes. I think it's important because we need to understand the tone and the tenor of the spiritual climate in which Joel is prophesying. We also need to know that God's judgment and the proclamations we hear in Joel have context concerning God's people. This was a season heading into the reign of Joash of great fear and great destruction. The nation was confused. Right? This is the context when Joel comes on the scene. So when we look at the book of Joel... There are some major themes. I, I mentioned some, some literary themes that we'll find in other 
prophets, but there's some themes actually in the book, and it's split. You can switch that back to the other image whenever. Thank you. Um, the, there's some themes here, and I've mentioned them before, but I'll just kind of give you the breakdown of what, where, where the themes are. Chapter 1 in the book of Joel is a focus on a past day of the Lord, a past judgment that most scholars believe was an actual real swarm of locusts that devastated the southern kingdom of Judah. Okay? So there's this absolute wrecking of the nation through a swarm of locusts. And locusts are like very, very large grasshoppers that eat everything. Okay? And we'll get the picture of that as we study the book of Joel. The next thing is that there's a future experience of the day of the Lord because he talks about an army that's invading like locusts. So he uses the imagery of the locust invasion to then talk about this upcoming armies that are coming that will be invading. Okay? That's verse, that's chapter 2, verses 1 through 17. Okay? Then we see God's response to the people, which is a refreshing of the land and God's spirit being poured out. That is Joel chapter 2, verses 18 through 32. That's the third major section. Joel chapter 2, 18 through 32. And then we see an ultimate day of the Lord where God judges the nations and he blesses his people. Joel chapter 3. That's the breakdown. That's where everything happens, okay? But we're going to learn a lot about, they talk about four different types of locusts. We're going to talk about those next week, all right? We're going to get into all the different, um, different aspects of repentance and what, because Joel's weird for a prophet book because it doesn't list any specific sin. It's the only prophetic book that doesn't say you did X, therefore God's doing this. It's a call to repentance for the nation, but doesn't list their sins. It's interesting. So we're going to dig into that. Um, and as we go through this, I believe that we want to establish a few core principles today in order to grasp what the Lord is speaking to us in this context of the book of Joel. Okay, how are we doing? You guys feel like you got a better grasp on what's happening in Joel? Right? I mean, how, how many times have you read Joel and gone, uh, a bunch, right? Do you know, it took me like three days. I literally got pen and paper out and mapped the craziness of the slaughters. Because I'm reading, I'm like, wait, is that, wait, no, wait, that's Ahaziah, that's Ahaziah. Is that the same Oh, that's the same person. Oh, having to put it all together. Okay, so I hope that helped. God has a destiny on our land. So we need to get some core principles in place if we're going to see God move here in this jurisdiction, in this land, this territory that God has given us. Come on, how many of you have any type of root here? Raise your hand if you got a root here. Did God plant you here? You got a root here. Okay, did God plant you here? Okay, then you have a root here. And if God planted you here, there is something 
divine that he wants you to accomplish here. So let's talk about it. We are living big picture. We're living in an area of history where truth has been abandoned for feelings. We live in an era where authorities are only honored if they agree with us. We don't honor authority because God put them there. We only honor them if we agree with them. That's not God. We've become more concerned about our rights than we've been concerned bearing Jesus' pattern of self-denial as a lifestyle. <laughs> it got real quiet. Wow, all right. Wow. Am I in North Idaho? Did that, oh, is that, wait, no, is that us? Oh, we're more concerned with our personal rights than living the lifestyle that Jesus lived. We're more concerned with protecting ourselves than laying our life down. Now, there's a place to fight, and there's a way to do it, but it's always going to look like Jesus. It's going to look like the way Jesus did it. <laughs> Everybody wants to point to the one example when he was mad. How about the rest of his life where he just laid it down? We have a form of godliness and have denied the power of God to change the hearts of those we disagree with. Our godliness takes the form of judgment instead of mercy. In short, we need a, a reformation and a revolution of the spirit of the Most High God in North Idaho. Our land here in this region was originally the place where all the different neighboring tribes. There's no native tribe to Sandpoint or Bonner County. Did you know that? There's Kalispell. There's the Kootenai. There's the Coeur d'Alene. Okay, there's several tribes around us, but none that were planted here. Well, it was all swamp land until we built the dam. But what they would do is the Native Americans would travel from all over, from Kootenai, Kootenai tribe, Coeur d'Alene tribe, Kalispell tribes, and several other tribes would all come together to Sandpoint, the sandbar that we have a park on right now. They would come to that location to trade via canoes, horses. This was the trading spot for all the tribes. So you want to know why there's an entrepreneurial spirit in this area? It's because this is where business was done between the tribes. This is where peace agreements were made between the tribes. This is sometimes where battles were fought between the tribes. There's a destiny on this land. This is where prophets come to rest and get reassigned. Yeah, if you're prophetic and you're feeling lost, let's talk because God's got a reassignment for you. How do I know that? Well, one of the beautiful pictures of prophets in the Bible is the eagle. Where do the eagles come to rest? Right here. 
This is where the eagles winter. This is where the eagles rest. How many people do you know that have had a vision of a place where pastors can come and rest and get filled up? Uh, like every other person I talk to, it's like, hey, I've got an idea for, uh, you know, some resting place for people to get filled back up and I came here to do it. Yeah, you and, every, like maybe we should do it together instead of everybody doing their own thing. <sighs> Sorry, yeah, soak this in. The reality is that we are called here with purpose. There's a destiny on our land. There's intention that God has in our land. This is also a thin place. What I mean by thin, thin place is that the ancient Celtics were very spiritual. There's some of the most amazing stories about God working through supernatural means through the Celtic people, okay? Followers of Christ, okay? This is, I'm not talking witchcraft, demonic stuff. Like followers of Jesus, they would have these amazing encounters and amazing things. And they would find places in the earth that were what they called a thin place. It's where they could see into the spiritual realms very easily. Like there was a thin veil between heaven and earth, right? This is Sandpoint in Barnard County. It's a thin-veiled place, okay? This is why we have a, such an overload of witchcraft in our region. Because they're accessing that second heaven just as much as we are. They get it probably better than most of us do, honestly. But there's this sense that there's, the air's thin between heaven and earth here, which is why anybody who's very, very spiritual or new agey, they love it here. They can feel it. It's, the, oh man, you can find some spots in some places where there's actual portals from heaven to earth. I have a friend who was walking on a trail by his house and he stopped and heaven's open and angels just going up and down on assignment. He's like, Okay. It's a thin place, so there's a lot of spiritual activity in our realm here. I think all, we need to understand some of this stuff because if we don't get some of this stuff, we're going to be misled in our assignment. The devil wants you distracted. <laughs> he wants you so focused on your personal rights that you forget to rebuke the demon that's standing right in front of you. He wants us distracted from the mission that God has for this region. Our land is ripe for experiencing redemption. Jim took on a group a few years ago about the land, property here specifically, and we know that there are major implications of what God desires to do within the region of North Idaho based on what God does here. What God does here on this property has a lot to do with the breakthrough that happens in the whole region. And I'm not saying that in a proud, boastful way. God has just said it too many times. He's just said it. That's why I, I, I don't mind wearing the mantle of that. I don't think you should mind it either. 
I think we need to pursue it wholeheartedly. When it comes to, to stepping in, there's an anointing for me to step in in racial reconciliation opportunities that come up because there's been such hatred and division in this land, okay? And I've, we've had such strong breakthrough that when I go to places where there's real racial divide, Tallahassee, Florida, Oakland, California, some of these places that I've had the beautiful privilege to help lead and been part of some reconciliation services where God is healing between the races, that part of that is because that's on our land. I come with the authority and the jurisdiction that is here, which is why um, issues of bigotry are so strong here. And don't act like it's not. Don't act like it's not. It's real. It's real. I was having a conversation with one of my friends who's an ex, you know, uh, NBA all-star. And we're having this conversation. And he's talking about, this is in June when George Floyd and all that stuff kind of blew up. And we're ha I don't even know why I'm going here, but I'm going here. So we're having this conversation and we're talking about racism and we're talking about this stuff. And it was really funny. I said, you know, they're, him and his friend are bringing up some, some different things. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, but, you know, we actually have a white supremacist compound in church right near town. Right near town. Like, no, we got the real deal right here. Right? We've got, we've got people who've moved here specifically for the sake of establishing white supremacist churches. Right here. Trying to woo people into their small groups. Talking about God's chosen people. Is this, is this clicking? You guys know what I'm talking about? Listen. There's an anointing on this house to break that spirit. So don't put your head in the sand on that stuff, please. Don't go la, la, la like it doesn't exist here. It does. Ooh. That gets me excited, actually. I'm like, ooh, you're going to break the devil's back in this region all right so why are we so concerned with the land I, I mean for some people they would say you know hey chris the land this is a distraction we need to just focus on souls and winning souls and and i believe there's a pattern in scripture where the issue of the territory the land the jurisdiction of authority needs to be aligned with heaven in order for souls to be saved in a supernatural way, to, to change the culture of the region because then it becomes very easy for people to come into the kingdom. What am I talking about? Well, listen, I think Joel will help prepare us for the great and mighty day of the Lord that is coming and the redemption that he is bringing to our region and our nation. The blood of Jesus has paid for everything. It is our job to reclaim that what he that which he paid for. He's already paid for it. Now we got to go reclaim it. Well, what do I mean? Listen, Luke 19:10 says that the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost, not those whom were that which was. Hey, that which was. All the things that God created, he paid to redeem. That includes business. 
It includes education. He created that. Why would he give the gift of teacher if it wasn't from him? Entertainment. Medicine. God created medicine. Our sexuality. Sorry to step on my toe there. Um, the family, the arts, how we communicate, even our government have all been paid for. They've been redeemed. It is our job to take up the authority that God has given us to disciple nations. How many of you know Matthew 28? It says, go therefore into all the world, make disciples of all nations. We're called to make disciples of the nations. The Son of Man, he came to seek and save that which was lost. How did, it, how did we lose it? Sin, right? We see in Luke chapter 4, Jesus being tempted by the devil for all the kingdoms of the world. Listen, you don't get tempted by something you don't want. You don't get tempted by something that you're not interested in, right? Something like, I've, some things, it's not a temptation at all. I like, don't want it. The kingdoms of this earth, the land which God created, is such a part of the passion of God that Satan could tempt him with it. I don't know what I just said. The, the reality of, what, of the passion that God has for the land, that God has for the kingdoms of this world, is so deeply embedded in his heart that Satan could tempt Jesus with it. We see that in Luke 4, right? The devil took him up, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you I will give this authority. The authority here has to do with all the kingdoms of the world. It means the rule of jurisdiction. Boundary. All the boundaries, the devil says, all the boundaries are mine. I'll give them to you if you worship me. That authority, right? If you, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. It's really interesting, because obviously the rule of jurisdiction is about the governments, it's about the boundaries that they operate in. It's about the land. The devil explains that all the kingdoms, all the land have been delivered handed, given over, and committed to him. That word means literally betrayed. So it was the betrayal of sin that gave Satan the authority and jurisdiction over the land. And then Jesus comes, and his blood pays for it. I've redeemed it. I paid for it. It's mine now. It's mine. All authority. All that authority, all the authority that the devil tried to tempt me with, all that authority that was given to him, I just paid for it. I got it all back. Now what I want to do is set up my kids to go take it back. Reclaim it. I paid for it, now go claim it, go get it. It's your right as a son and a daughter of God to reclaim those things which Jesus paid for, including your lost children. 
I just said that to encourage somebody. Amen. Jesus came to seek, to look for, and to save, to sozo, to heal, to make whole, to deliver, to set free from bondage, to save, to rescue. That's the word used there, to seek and to save, seek and to sozo, that which was lost. He wants to set the land free. He wants to bring deliverance to every arena that we have any control or authority or influence in. So, the land, the purpose, the destiny of the land was betrayed by sin into the enemy's hands. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Clearly, revival is about souls, but it is also about everything Jesus created. He created your sexuality. He created your business, mind. He created education, family, all of that. The atonement of the blood of Christ is not limited. And as his ambassadors, as his sons who have authority to disciple the nations, we are to reclaim all that Jesus paid for. I want to reiterate it in a more calm tone. So some of you maybe like, mm, he's yelling again. Let's say it again with a calm tone. The atonement of the blood of Christ is not limited I'll die on that hill as his ambassadors as his sons and daughters who have authority to disciple the nations we are to reclaim all that Jesus paid for this series through Joel will give us some keys but more than anything it will cause us and call us deeper into the revelation of God's passion, his zeal, his love, and his plans for us, his people, and the land that he wants us to reclaim that he paid for. Will you stand with me? How many of you excited to go through the book of Joel? Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I, sometimes I'm like, well, I don't know how you want to do this. Like, what are you going to do? And he just blows my mind every time um, because he's always doing more than I anticipate him doing. What? That's true. All right. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for what you're doing. We thank you and praise you for your goodness in this place. We thank you and praise you that your blood paid it all. Father, I ask in Jesus' mighty powerful name that our eyes would no longer be distracted that we would no longer set our hearts on present day comfort but we would set our hearts on the blessed hope of walking with you in the purposes that you have for us and we fully reject the culture of North Idaho that does not match your kingdom and we come out of agreement with everything in our hearts that doesn't match your kingdom. We repent for choosing our own ways over your ways. And we ask God that you would reveal in us that deeper passion to see your work done here in this place in a powerful, tangible, real way. And Father, I'm asking that fruit would be quick and immediate in the hearts and lives as we go through this series. 
that there would be a sudden explosion of souls being saved, that there would be a sudden rewiring and restructuring of businesses. Uh, I, I command all of the things that have been built on the systems of this world to come in alignment with the kingdom of God. And Father, I ask in Jesus' name for, um, uh, especially as we are dealing with um, embedded poverty mindsets, that you would overwhelm us with your abundance in Jesus' name. God, that we would become a shining light of what it means to be in the kingdom and walking out your abundance in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Come on, let's give God praise. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Harvest Valley Worship Center is called to be a refuge for healing and a launch pad for transformation. If this message impacted you today, please let us know in a comment, or you can email us at media at hvwc.com. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to connecting with you.